0: Nashville, Tennessee is home to some of the world's finest musicians. From country music to R&B to hip hop and everything in between, if you've heard it, Nashville's got it. But ever since I moved to the city in 2013, I've met some incredible musicians who fall in between the cracks. Amazing musicians who are passionate about that other music. So I'm not here to talk about the music you've probably heard. I'm here to introduce you to them, illuminate their music, and share their stories. My name is David Rogers. An improviser, composer, and pianist here in Music City, USA. And I want to welcome you to the Improvisers Corner. Today's guest is one of Nashville's most sought after bassists, Jimmy Sullivan. We discuss why Jimmy moved from New York City to Nashville, why he decided to stay in this scene, and all things improvisation here in Music City. I wanted to ask you, man, because you're, I think you're the busiest person I know in terms of someone who's always playing like you gig more than anybody I know how do you balance that
1: it's not easy you know I mean I think when you make a lot of your living as a jazz musician it's bands that have never played together you know it's rough around the edges a lot it's difficult for me I'm trying to get better at it because yeah you always want things to, to feel good and you always want things to be creatively satisfying but yeah, if you're playing two, three times a night, that's not always the case. It's tough. I mean... What do you do from an energy perspective to keep yourself on track? It's weird. It's like... You might not know this. I, I took a little bit of a hiatus from music for a while, where I was bartending and waiting tables. And... uh I don't know how much they're correlated, but that's a hard way to make a living. Especially when I was in New York, you know, I'd be working sometimes 60 hour weeks, but 40, 50 at the normally on your feet the whole time. Yeah. And it just kind of felt like when I was able to go back to being full time, cause I was a full time musician for many years. And then when I got back, I don't know, it just felt like I was shot out of a cannon. Yeah. This is like year two where I'm just doing gigs and I just, I never seem to yeah. get tired of it, like, you know, I always like you, think about the alternative. You
0: have more energy when I meet somebody than, than anyone else, really. It's like we all have like our slumps, I've never encountered that. I stay very caffeinated, Yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> a spoil, you know,
1: take you behind the curtains. New York from Virginia and uh, my goal was to try to be a jazz musician and uh, it just didn't work out and it was really frustrating yeah it's 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 such a trite story but like I was kind of a big deal in Richmond Virginia yeah. but not a deal at all in New York and I just couldn't get work yeah, it was about three years I really tried in earnest and um, I was getting occasional gigs that either didn't pay or I would get these gigs that paid Ten dollars, $15 for a four-hour gig, which, you know, some of them would be, like, uptown. So, I mean, like, literally I would be in a subway for an hour and 20 minutes to play for four hours to get $10 after years. And uh, it was really frustrating, and I ran out of money, so I was, uh, that's when I started waiting tables and bartending. And then eventually I just transitioned to that. can I say this without sounding like corny, like, <laughs> I I met people initially that were like, hey, you want to get together and jam? I think I met you at a jam. Yeah, I started going, and you know, that's the thing, like, I started looking at, I started going to the Nashville Jazz Workshop jams, and uh, I met some bluegrass people, which I would never played bluegrass before, but they were like, just come to our house and jam. So I started doing that, and then uh, at the restaurant, you know, hey, I have some songs, you want to just get together and just play for fun? Yeah. And I think that did it, Like I just lost my joy in New York. I play music because it's fun. You know, at the end of the day, I play music because I really like it and it's fun. And it stopped being fun in New York. And then in Nashville, it became fun again. And I remember like we I was just jamming and I was jamming a lot. I was just going and hanging out with people. I met Lindsey Miller, who's a good friend of mine. I met Matt Endall and I just would go to their living room and just play for fun. And then it was like, hey, well, there's a thing, you know, it pays like $50. I mean, you don't have to say I was like, all right, sure, I'll do that. And then after a while, I was playing with four or five different groups, mostly singer-songwriter stuff. And then jazz started happening, and and it just kind of kept piling up.
0: I remember I, I met you, I think, at the, they just shut down, but the Commodore Grill Jam. Oh wow, yeah. Like, maybe like three something like three yeah, or four yeah. years ago. And I, I, re- I remember specifically because it was the jam portion and I think we were playing, uh, I think it was like Cherokee, mm-hmm. just so fast, yeah like, like 340 or yeah, something. Yeah. And, um, and like everyone else was just sort of like, you know, not going through the motions, but it was just like, we're playing Cherokee, you yeah. know, it's like a tune we all know. But I, I remember looking over at you and you're just like, you're just so into it, and you're like digging in, and you're like, you're sweating. I just remember like, this guy is bringing intensity that I really haven't
1: felt. It's, you know, when I when I first moved here and I was trying to play, like I said, I was just trying to play for fun again. It was depressing, man, trying to find jazz. Like, I described it as, like, an internet graveyard of jazz gigs (laughs) and jam sessions that were. It was sad, man. I mean, like, there would be a thing where it's like, jazz jam at this place, closed. Jazz jam at this place, closed. Or I would, like, click on it. It's like, this restaurant has been closed since, you know, 2005. Like, everything. I had to scroll down and scroll down. And now that Rudy's is here, there are some weeks where there's some pretty interesting music happening Um, you know I'm really inspired by a lot of the music that's being made there and I think a lot of the sea change that we're hoping will happen has to come from younger people like obviously guys like Jeff Coffin and and Bruce Dudley and Jeff Berlin and Jim Ferguson and I can keep going on and on Duffy Jackson there's obviously a lot of, of older guys that are absolutely amazing musicians, but like the people that come to the shows and the people that start new gigs tend to be younger people, the people that are still hungry and still trying to do things. I grew up listening to hip-hop and then when I first started playing bass in high school I played mostly like, I grew up right outside of DC So I played like punk rock, hardcore music. So I did that for a few years. And then when I started to study music formally, I went to community college and there was a professor there uh, who was an interesting character. Uh, He was a jazz DJ. He was also quite involved in politics. He was a member of the Black Panthers and I believe he like marched with Martin Luther King. Uh, He was from Memphis, his name was Herb. And his concept for teaching We didn't do scales. We didn't do anything. A lot of it was him just, like, ranting about social issues, sometimes turning tables over or kicking things. He was a very fiery individual. But, like, his concept for that was that he said jazz is black music, and he said that all black music is related. And something that he would say is if you want to learn how to play jazz or phrase listen to Mahalia Jackson, listen to Sam Cooke, listen to Michael Jackson, listen to Bob Marley, listen to Marvin Gaye. And when he would say that, the the light that went off in my head was that through hip-hop, I was very familiar with James Brown, and I was very familiar with like Marvin Gaye. And I grew up also, I love Michael Jackson. So looking at it in that form, because jazz can be daunting. It's so much different than a lot of the music that you play. But if you look at it like it's kind of a variation of soul music. And he would always describe rhythm as like, it's kind of like a dance. You just gotta learn how to dance. Yeah. You just gotta learn how learn to feel the rhythm. That was the first step for me to understanding jazz, was just thinking about it like, it's sort of like James Brown Band. It's sort of yeah. like Marvin Gaye, if that so makes sense. you were almost
0: studying jazz unconsciously while you grew up on hip hop then?
1: That's, that's how I look at it. I love practicing, I love practice. I love the process, you know, I I like getting better at things, I like marking progress, and you know, when I practice, one of the things that I do a lot is just repetitions of things, if I'm having trouble with something, I will take it down very slow with a metronome, and I try to do things either 25 or 50 times before I move on, and like, when I'm practicing for the Jeff Pfeiffer gig, like, maybe I'll just solo on dolphin dance 10 times in a row and then I move on to the next thing and solo on that 10 times in a row or 25 or 50 and uh, so I do things in repetitions and I actually when I was in college just I went to the library one day and got all these books on basketball training and I just was listening I had vinyl they had records so I was like listening to Art Blakey records while I was dubbing them onto tapes sorry I know you shouldn't do that but (laughs) I was and reading and like I came up with like a thing like, run a suicide, you know. Come back, dribble left-handed for a minute until the buzzer goes off. Then right-handed until the buzzer goes off. Then do crosses. Then do crosses behind your back. Then you know through the legs. Then shoot 15 jumpers from here. 15 jumpers here. Run another suicide. Do 20 push-ups. Jumpers from here. Then practice your footwork. You know, I'd set up a chair, cross, try to get by it. I loved it. I almost loved that as much as playing. Like just getting up in the morning and doing that. And it's similar, I mean, I have a routine. I get up every morning and usually it's like, boom, I have a 45 minute timer. I like, timers are always cool to me. I used to love you doing them in basketball, but I set 45 minutes. And then it's like 45 minutes singing, 45 minutes baseline construction, 45 minutes electric, 45 minutes soloing, take a break, and then maybe I'll throw in, you know, one or two or three more 45 minute sessions. I try to do improvising every day, you know, whether it's playing along with, like, I Real Book, but the tunes that I'm doing with Stephanie or Jeff Pfeiffer or other groups, I try to go through soloing every day. I try to go through bass lines every day. Um, I write out a lot of walking, and I have them all kind of on my tablet, so I might just be like, here's 10 choruses of Softly as a Morning Sunrise that I wrote a long time ago. I'll just read through that. And I always try to, like, every day, Fast tempos, okay. you know, try to keep that happening because that will go quick.
0: Yeah, who have been your biggest influences?
1: Yes, really good questions. <laughs> I'm, I'm interested about, I'm interested well, about you, man. Yeah. You know, when, so when I was in community college, again, being this punk rock kid, I had stickers all over my bass and long dyed yellow hair, trying to play jazz. The one thing that Herb would always shout out was he wouldn't call me by my name, he'd always just call me bass player. He'd always just shout, you know, bass player, you're dragging! Bass player, it's so corny. You need to listen to Sam Jones, Percy Heath, Doug Watkins, Ron Carter. He would say those four names every time. I started listening. Sam Jones is one of my favorite bass players as far as walking and two-feel. Percy Heath, Doug Watkins, Ron Carter, I love those guys. As far as bass playing, that is, those are the four guys I've, I've checked out the most. I've transcribed, it, it, it bums me out that I lost my books of transcriptions, but I had books of transcriptions from those guys. Those are my biggest, biggest influences. Um, and then when I got to four-year college, I became kind of obsessed with Christian McBride, and George Mraz is probably my, one of my biggest, biggest, biggest influences. I am obsessed with George Mraz, I love him. I get a lot, I mean, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from basketball players. Like, I mean, I love... I feel like I can sort of relate to some of the, like... You know, like Jimmy Butler, for example. Someone that was a late round... Late pick that nobody thought was going to be a star who, later in life, was able to do it. And from everything I've read about Jimmy Butler, just the most tenacious worker you'll ever meet. And also just completely redefined his game. Guys that do that... Kawhi Leonard's another one guys that hey this guy can't shoot because I I couldn't solo for the longest time I never cared about soloing and this is like a recent thing that I've really devoted to myself too that I always love that I love the idea of a guy that's just a defensive guy that's like you know what I'm just gonna go to the gym every day and learn how to shoot and then Kawhi and Jimmy Butler like that's amazing When I first started learning jazz, you know, like everybody, I went to older guys. I went to guys that were good players and asked them, you know, hey, how do I do this? And they all kind of said the same thing. Don't worry about soloing, just time. Have good time, no tunes, and be able to, like, play a bassa and a samba and a waltz and a two-feel. Like, if you can do that, that's all you have to do. And I remember talking to another older bass player guy, and he was like, you know what I do? When people ask me to solo, I just take, like, two A's. Like, I never take a full course to solo, and people love that. And, man, that, like, made a huge impression on me. Like, man, being a bass player is turn down solos, just focus on walking, which I did. Like, my whole life for the first six years I played jazz was nothing but, like, improving my walking and two feel. That was all I tried to do. Um, and I kind of thumbed my nose at guys I was a little bit of a hater Like I'd see some guy take like this crazy long solo I'd be like, ugh, I don't do that I don't take long bass <laughs> solos Or like I saw some guy do like And it was actually dope But like he took a long like solo bass thing And I was like, Psh, you know, I don't do that I just walk blues forever You know, what I mean? yeah. like I don't do that I, I took some lessons. There was a bass player in, in D.C. named Ephraim Wolfolk. Great bass player, but he was a really heavy classical bass player, and then he played with Jam- Ahmad Jamal for a while, and he played in the Smithsonian Jazz Orchestra. But I took lessons with him, and it was crazy. I mean, it. he struck a nerve with me in that he, let's play this classical A-tune. And again, I'm like, I don't play, let's try to play this classical A-tune. And of course, it would be god-awful. Like, i just bought the, you know, picked up a bass <laughs> months ago, and he would literally, all right, this part. Doom do, do, doo, Click. Click. Do, 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 Take your hand off the bass. Two, three, four. Do, do. He would tell me to do it 25 times at like 50 beats per minute, and it just. That was the main takeaway from that. It's like, wow, that's how you practice. You know, there was this guitar player in DC, Paul Piper, that. It's a hero of mine, but, and he is not a very disciplined practicer at all, he's just very naturally talented, but one thing he talked about is like, you know, people focus so much on books and method, and not that there's nothing to be gained from that, but man, go see Great Jazz, listen to Great Jazz, like that's the textbook. That's the real textbook. And seeing that stuff live, you know, you see Ron Carter or Christian McBride or Dave Holland or Mark Johnson or George Mraz, I could go on, Abishai Cohen, Peter Washington, John Clayton, I sought those guys out. If it meant not going to a gig and driving four hours to go see it, I did it. Because that's that's how you learn. You see those guys live and it's like, wow. Like that's how jazz should sound.